Please open your Bibles to Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1. We will do a quick sweep of Zephaniah. And uh, this is where I'm going to end. I'm starting at the end, and then I'll work my way back to the end. So we start wrapping up our distinctives. I have a couple more weeks left. We enter the section that deals with eschatological wrath. That's end times judgment. There's a lot that connects to this. I'm going to have to leave out a lot, especially since time is so far gone. We can cover some of it on on Wednesday, but I will definitely get back to it next week. There are four basic questions that I'm going to answer this morning. I won't give it to you up front, because I may not cover all four questions. Um, but I will give it to you as we go through this sermon. So if you hear a question, I do ask a lot of questions, but you'll know that it's the four questions that I'm going to cover in this sermon. There are various ways in which people view the tribulation. Some believe that the church will go through the tribulation, especially those that believe that the church is Israel. There are those who say, well, we go halfway through the tribulation, and then we are raptured mid-tribulation. And then there are those who say, well, the church won't go through the tribulation. We get raptured before the tribulation. And then there are those who say, well, you know, this is the tribulation. You are now currently in the tribulation. How do we understand these things? I think that the scripture will answer any of those questions. I'm not going to answer them specifically, but as you follow along, keep them in the back of your mind. Will we be raptured before? Will we be raptured in the middle? Will we, are we in the tribulation? Or um, is there a tribulation specifically for Israel or for the church? What, what do we do with this? This period, the tribulation goes by other names as well. Such as the day of wrath. The day of anger. Jacob's trouble. And I believe that the day of the Lord is included in it, although it's the end of the tribulation. It's the culmination, the day of the Lord, is the culmination of everything that takes place in the tribulation. So the day of the Lord is the day of finality. Zephaniah 1, 2. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares Yahweh. That is strong language. I will utterly, the word here for earth is the word for not Eretz like the world. Everything from the topsoil will be removed from the earth. Completely wiped away. You know like your son does when he cleans the tabletop. He just wipes it off onto the floor. I will wipe away man and beast. I will wipe away birds of the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares Yahweh. Wow. That is the finality. Of the future judgment. Look at verse 14. A great day is. uh, the, The great day of Yahweh is near. 
near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of Yahweh is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And I will bring distress on man. Kind. I'm going to pause there. This is what you have to look forward to in the day of the Lord. Does not sound good. Now let's rewind and work our way towards that. There is a clear expect day, expectation of the day of the Lord. His coming is specifically connected to the judgment, the wrath that will be out, poured out in that day. Part of that day is the tribulation period. This day of the Lord takes place right at the end of the tribulation period. It is not a day of pleasure or peace. It is not a day of celebration or cheers. It is a day of horror. A day of holy fury. A day of righteous anger. Which everyone living in that time will experience. This is when the Lord will come to judge the world and all those who have not loved the truth. The tribulation period is the entrance to that day. In other words, there will be pain, there will be suffering on a global scale for a short period of time until the Lord ends it. If you're not saved, that period is reserved for those who are alive during that phase. If Jesus should come right now, you will walk into the tribulation period. Yes, be scared. Understand that other than the global flood in Genesis 6, nothing in the history of mankind will be and can be compared to the judgment revealed in the tribulation period and in the day of the Lord. While different theological systems aim to tell us that this is past, to tell us that this is what we're experiencing now, there is nothing in history that will equal past or present, that can equal what will be experienced in that day. The horror and the finality of the day of the Lord or the tribulation period is like nothing this world has ever experienced. Be scared. So what do we know about this period? Both Old Testament and New Testament are in unison about the wrath that will be revealed in the tribulation period and specifically the Great Tribulation Period. Often, when people speak about the Tribulation Period, they think it's one period. Or, they say that it's the Great Tribulation Period, and they think of the entire period. The word Great Tribulation Period first appears in Matthew 21. You can turn there. We will be going to a number of different passages, because there's just so many to deal with. Matthew 21, sorry, 24 Verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation. Take notice of what follows. Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. 
you get a picture from that. This is unlike anything we've seen. This is the first time this word, great tribulation period, uh, appears. So what is the great tribulation period? Well, the tribulation period, seven years, is broken up into two sections. To explain that, we need to rewind time and go back to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9 is a little bit of a difficult section because it is prophecy partly fulfilled and partly unfulfilled. First question that I'm going to answer is this. What is Daniel's 70th week and how does it relate to the tribulation period? Remember, I'm going to point out to you right now that there's a separation in the tribulation period. Part of that answer will cover what this week is. What is Daniel's 70th week? Look at chapter 9 of Daniel verse 2. In the first year of the reign of his reign, that is Darius, um, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years, take note of that word, years, because it appears a lot, and I would circle that. That according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So he read the book of Jeremiah and realized, wait a minute, 70 years is about to end. We are in this period, not, not we, Daniel and those people in Babylon. Then I turned to uh, turn my face uh, to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, uh, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He realized that there was great trials still ahead of them, because God still needs to deal with them in judgment. Why seventy years? Ever wondered why seventy years? Why were they in Babylon for seventy years? Turn to Second Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. As I've said many times before, eschatology is not a subject in and of itself, theology that you can study by itself. It is integrated into the entire Bible. Look at verse 21. I'm going to back up to 20. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him. This is um, king of uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. So Babylon, then Persia, which again he revisits in Daniel chapter 9. To fulfill the word of Yahweh by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. Interesting. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Wow. So Israel interestingly, were unfaithful to the Lord by not giving the land its rest. So God says, well, here's what I'm going to do. Since you have not kept the prophecy or the command to keep 
the Sabbath, I will now judge you for the time that you did not keep the Sabbath. Do you know how long they did not keep it? No, not 70 years. 490 years. That's half of their life as existing as a nation. They did not keep God's uh, command. The 70-year captivity was not chosen just because God wanted to thumbsuck a number. No, it was one year for every seven-year uh, periods, every 70-cycle-year periods, which is 490 years, so 70 cycles of 70 years. Each captivity represented a seven-year cycle. God judges them for that and said, for that period, I will just give you 70 years in Babylon, which is in a total of 490 years, which they should have had, but they don't. Yet God returns to that number. You will see that in a moment's time. Daniel's vision is in the middle of this captivity in Babylon. Go to Daniel 9 now. Look at verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Pause there. Seventy weeks. This word has been interpreted in a variety of different ways. I'm going to suggest that it is seventy uh, sevens. So I'm going to show that to you. So 70 weeks, as our translations say, and if you have a Bible with footnotes, if you look in your footnote, what does it say? 70 what? Sevens. So 70 sevens are decreed about your people and your holy city to fulfill the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring uh, in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, uh, prophet or prophecy, and to anoint a most holy place. Let me deal with what 70 weeks first means before we move on. Keep your hand here. Turn over to Leviticus 25. I know I don't do this often. I do not like page flipping in preaching, but this is needful for our understanding of prophecy. So the comments are that these are 70 consecutive years. That's what it is. It's just 70 consecutive years, which has already been fulfilled by the end of the, tribu- uh, of the captivity. Uh, Leviticus 25, look at verse 8. You shall count seven weeks, there we have that word again, of years. Wait a minute, seven weeks of years? What does that mean? Seven times seven years. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? So weeks then is what? Years. So seven weeks of seven years, also known as seven sevens. What is seven times seven? Forty-nine. Let's look at the text. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you what? Forty-nine years. Can you do math? I think it's pretty simple. Seven weeks... In the Levitical understanding or the prophecy, uh, the, uh, the, the command that God gives here, 77, 7 times 7, 77 is 49, which is simple math. 
Now go to Daniel 9 and keep that in mind. Weeks in the terms of years can be translated as 70 cycles of years. That is what Daniel have in view here. 70 cycles of seven years are decreed. That word, shavim or shavum, shavom, literally means a period of seven. I think it's very simple. If you read it as it is written in the Old Testament, how would they have understood 70 weeks of uh, seven cycles, 70 sevens? What is the number? 70 times seven. Can you do math? It is 490. Sounds familiar, right? 490. So, a period of 490 years has been decreed for God's judgment of, on Israel and God's restoration of Israel. 490 years will result in six events. Look at the first three. It's found in verse 27. Number one, the first is to finish the transgression. The second one is to put an end to sin. The third one is and to atone for iniquity. All three deals with sin. The last three, take note of this. <clears throat> is to bring in everlasting righteousness, number one. Secondly, in the last uh, um, three, to seal both vision and profit. And the last one is to anoint a most holy place. The last three deals with the establishment of eternal righteousness, fulfillment of all that God has promised, and a reestablished temple. So then, the first three deals with Christ's coming in dealing with sin. The second three, uh, three deals with Christ's second coming in dealing with the establishment of eternal righteousness in the eternal kingdom. You have two comings given in one prophecy. That is not uncommon in the Old Testament. Like I said to you many times over, often in the Old Testament, the, first, the second coming precedes the... Uh, the first coming is always followed by the second coming. There is no gap in between. However, Daniel makes allowances for that. And I'll show it to you the, in, in, a, in a second. There is a gap between the 69 weeks and the last week. That gap exists in this text. Why does the gap exist? Because the church is not mentioned in the Old Testament. But somehow God knows that there will be a period between 69 weeks and the last week, the 70th week. So to make allowances for it, there is a break. Look at 9.25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, which is Christ, a prince or a leader or a head or a messiah figure, there shall be seven weeks. And 62 weeks. So how do we understand that? 62 plus 60 uh, uh, plus 7 weeks is what? 69 weeks. How many weeks did he decree? 70. So 70 weeks have been decreed, but 69 will be fulfilled. And the walls will be, uh, I should say, the um, Jerusalem will be rebuilt. 26, and after the 62 weeks, so you have to include the, the seven because that relates to the coming of the Messiah. So in total, after the 69 weeks, but I'm going to read as it is in the text, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off. Who's that? Christ. So at the end of 69 weeks, 
Christ is cut off. After 434 years from the giving of the prophecy to restore, there will be 434 years. So sometime during that period, while he is living, he gets cut off. Notice what it says at the end. And he shall have nothing. Connected to that, and the people of the prince, the people of the princess is not Jesus, who is to come, because this is a different one who is still future, who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So you've got two princes here. One who comes to deal with sin, and then one who comes to destroy the sanctuary. But he's not present. It's these people that are present. You can see the wheels turning, because this is math in, <laughs> in prophecy. So the one who's cut off is Jesus. The second prince is the Antichrist. The one who opposes him. And you'll see that in a moment's time. His people. He doesn't have to be present for his people to be present. His people. It doesn't say that he goes and destroys the sanctuary, does it? No. It says his people goes and destroys the city, that's Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, which is the temple. That is in AD 70. That has already taken place. So the cutting off and the destruction of, um, of the, the temple has already been fulfilled, has already taken place. Now look at verse 27. Notice the switch. First the people of the prince who is to come, but in 27, notice it says, and he, that prince, the one mentioned in verse 26, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. How do we understand one week? Well, one cycle of seven years. Because that is what the week in this context means. One cycle of seven years, and for half the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree end. Uh, the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So there's a decree that is specific for him, and there's a decree to put an end to sacrifices through this one in the temple. Interesting. How do we make sense of this? Daniel breaks the period or the cycle of seven years in half. Notice again, he says, he will make a covenant for one week. And for half of the week, there shall be, uh, uh, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offerings. So what does that relate to? In, uh, sacrifices and offerings relates to what? Not to whom, but to what? To the temple. Keep that in mind. It relates to the temple. So this one, this prince who will come, he will be somehow related to the temple by causing sacrifices to be ended or to bring an end to sacrifices in the temple. All that to say that there will be a break in that seven year period, three and a half years of relative peace and three and a half years of absolute chaos. And when you hear the word peace, do not think peacefulness, rather think compliance. And I'll show that to you when we get to Revelation. It's not peace as we think is of it in, in today's terms, but it means that he will be so scary that no one would want to contradict him. 
Listen to how Paul describes this in 1 Thessalonians 5.3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come on them. False sense of security would be given to this world for about three and a half years and then outright war and chaos ensues. Now then, 69 of the 77s have already been fulfilled. So 69 of the 70 weeks have been fulfilled. That means 483 years of the 490 years have already taken place. That's all done. So that means how many years is the left? 490 minus 483 for you engineers. Not new math. Seven years. That's all that Daniel is saying. There's a period of a seven year cycle that is still unfulfilled. In other words, 69 will take place, but then there's a period which is future. Why is it future? Because the church age takes place between the 69 and the 70th week. Daniel accommodates the church age without mentioning the church age. Why? Because the church is not in the Old Testament. Unless you believe Israel is the church, then it doesn't make sense. But anyway, let's move on. This is known as the tribulation. That seven-year period, that seven weeks or or cycle of seven years is known as the tribulation period. The great tribulation period is that last half when he comes and he puts an end to sacrifices and offerings. The three and a half years is known as the great tribulation period. So when Jesus says that then there will be a great tribulation period, all he's talking about is that last half of the tribulation period. Only then will there be a great tribulation period. Now, let me ask you this question. Who are the audience that Daniel speaks to in the book of Daniel? Very simple. It is Jews. Yeah, Israel. Who are the audience that Jesus speaks about in Matthew 24? Israel. Different people, but same group in view. Who do you think would be the focus of the 70th week. Israel. It's that simple. If you hold to a literal hermeneutic in Daniel uh, 9, all is focused on Israel. Why would it change? Why does it suddenly change? Three things to note in Jesus' version in Matthew 24. We won't look at it because I don't have time to. He says this, um, or at least it covers this. Jesus says that after the abomination, there will be a great tribulation. So expect in the middle, there's going to be an abomination. That is the desolation of Daniel, which Daniel speaks about three and a half years in. Jesus says that the abomination involves a person. Keep that in mind. Involves a person who stands in the temple, which means that the temple post 8070 is destroyed. It doesn't stand anymore. It's not around today, which means there is a future time when the temple will be reconstructed. Number three. The abomination of desolation is future from Jesus' point of view. So this cannot be Antiochus Epiphany because a lot of people think it is Antiochus Epiphany who back in the day went into the temple and uh, desecrated it. Uh, That may be a type of, but that is not it. Now look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. With all that in mind... There's an abomination that takes place, there's a temple, and there is a person that is um, part and parcel of this abomination. Look at Second Thess 2 verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, 
For that day, speaking about the day of the Lord, which is um, in uh, verse uh, 2, for that day will come, will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God. He destroys every other religion and, ex- and, and creates a new one or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. What do you have? An abomination taking place that involves a person, that involves the temple. This is future from Paul's point of view as he writes uh, Second Thessalonians. When we get to the end of Revelation, there is a temple and there is a great tribulation period. And it is future by AD 95. So it's still future from John's point of view. So it's future for Daniel. It is future for Jesus. It is future for John. Which means it's probably still future for us, right? Jesus, Daniel, and John agree on the same thing. But notice, uh, go back to Matthew 25, 24. I want you to take note of the language mentioned here. Look at verse 21 again. For then there will be a great tribulation. Now we know that that is the last part of the seven year cycle of um, uh, uh, weeks. Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No and never will be. So this period. This tribulation, this great tribulation period will, will be unlike anything that we have ever experienced or nothing after that will be like it. Because this will be the end. This is the finality of life as we know it. So this will be the worst period of human history. This will be the period where God removes the restraint on mankind. And those who are for free will in society will get their free will in society. Those who are saying we don't want God, we don't want divine control, well they will get that. And all of mankind will be thrown into chaos. All manner of wickedness will take place in that period. This is exactly what Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 prophesies. And there shall be a a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Meaning that this is going to be the worst period that you would ever experience in the history of mankind. Now some some theological systems say, well we are in the tribulation now. Hmm. I don't know about that. Because we haven't looked at how bad it's going to be yet. We'll get there in a moment's time. As wicked as this world is, we have not seen God removing his restraining grace. We have not seen God coming in the fury of his wrath. We have not seen God giving man completely over to his sinfulness. And that day is coming. Okay. So then, second question. 
What will the tribulation be like? I've got two parts to it. The, third, the second part is the third question. So let me build up to that. The tribulation period is a great time of trial for all who live in that period. Jesus says in Matthew 24, if you are pregnant, it will be a bad time. Not bad time as meaning the pregnancy will be bad. It's just a bad period of history to live in. There's an intensification in Matthew 24, verse 22. And in those days, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved or survive. It would be that bad. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. It's three and a half years of the great tribulation period. And that's going to be too much for this world. So if God doesn't cut it short, there will be nothing left because people will start turning on each other. And this whole world, the elements that keeps physics in play, that, that is still functioning, is going to be removed. You'll see that in a moment's time. So as with every system, the word elect appears here. And so those who are not dispensational say, well, there you go. The word elect relates to the church. Uh, as I've mentioned to you before, context, context, context. Take note in 21.15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken about by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. What is the holy place? The temple. Look at verse 16. Uh, then those who are in Judea. Who lives in Judea? Jews, come on. Verse 20. Um, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the... Sabbath, who does the Sabbath relate to? Not Gentiles. Do you keep the Sabbath? If you do, you're doing it wrong. So you're not a Gentile. I mean, sorry, you are a Gentile. You're not a Jew. 21, 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, there is the Messiah, the Christ. Or there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise. Who does false Christ and false prophets relate to? Jews. The target audience in Matthew 24 are Jews. So the elect in this context is Jewish elect, not Gentile elect. As I said to you before, if you do not understand the separation between church and Israel, you will not understand eschatology as the Bible lays out eschatology. It makes no sense if we cannot see that separation in Scripture. So, this period of history, God will flatten the surface of this world. Zephaniah and Zechariah both speak about it. Isaiah chapter 2 speaks about it. You will see the significance of that next week. The apostasy of those who fall away will be those Jews who do not believe in the gospel of the kingdom. Many will capitulate. Many will turn because it's going to be so hard to remain faithful to Christ. Those who are truly saved, they will endure but will die for their faith. You may think, well, that's good. I'm fine with that. As long as I die for Jesus, I'm, then I'm safe, right? Well, we haven't looked at the tribulation period yet. You don't want to go into the tribulation hoping that you can believe in the tribulation period. You will see in a moment why. There will be a false religion that sweeps the entire world. 
During that 42 months, there will be a defilement of the temple. The temple is central to the tribulation period and especially to the great tribulation period. And everyone who faults, who follows this false lie will be given over to it. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. They will not be able to resist the influence and the delusion and the wickedness and the lie of the lawless one. Look at verse 11. Therefore God sends him a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe in the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Hmm. Look up at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, so this is future, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those All wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They are given a strong delusion. God sends them a strong delusion. Why? So that they could believe the lie. It's not going to be easy. He's going to be convincing because he's going to be empowered by the devil himself. He's going to be convincing because God will send a delusion that covers the entire face of the world so that you do believe it. He will be so powerful that this whole world will bow to him and say, that is the Messiah, that is the Christ. This lawless man will perform mighty signs and wonder. And I can see those of you who are cessationists, and I am as well, Your minds are working. What on earth? There's going to be signs and wonders in the future. Yes, there will be. Just because you are cessationist doesn't mean you deny that God can still do wonders. But this is not God. This is the devil doing wonders on earth. Big difference. In other words, they will believe the lie because they want to believe the lie. And they will be deluded enough to believe the lie. Why? Because God caused them to be deluded. I don't want to be around then. Yes, God gives people over to false religion today as you will in the tribulation period. This Antichrist will say, it is for your good. We are protecting you. Just comply. Just comply. And there will be a willing compliance because the mark of the beast is the only way that you will, able to, will be able to survive. Look at Revelation chapter 13. This is still the same guy. Look at verse 15. <clears throat> and it was allowed this beast to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who do not worship the image to be slain. So if you don't take the mark, if you do not submit to this this beast, then you will be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both slave and free, to be marked. Did you take note of that? It causes all, To be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the the, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Wow. 
This is not a nice period to live in. So for three and a half years, I think that his influence will extend beyond that. I think it goes outside the seven-year period. I stand correction on that, corrected on that, but I do think that his influence will extend beyond that period because it doesn't take a moment for the Antichrist to convince his world. He will cause people to take the mark. Do you know what that is called? Forced compliance. You will comply. You will have no option because if you don't, you die. If you don't, you don't eat. The, the word trade or sell, that is to, to, to engage in commerce. That's for you to go to the shop. You need a mark on your arm or your hand and a mark on your head. If you don't do that, you will be killed. There is no surviving. There is only one option, the mark of the beast or death. That's two options, right? That's two options. Look at chapter 11, verse 2. This is still during this period. I've not looked at the worst yet. I'm just building up to it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the, the temple of God and the altar. And those who worship there... But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it was given over to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Can you do math? What is 42 months? Three and a half years. I'm not into numerology. But that is very precise. For 42 months, this Antichrist will open the temple and they will enter it and trample. It's not just him. Gentiles will be there as well. There will be a desecration of the temple as a whole for three and a half years. That's exactly what Daniel 9 says. This also appears in chapter 13, verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty, blasphemous words in the temple. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, three and a half years. This devil man is a central figure in the tribulation. I should say more so in the great tribulation period. Anyone who refuses to bow around to him will be slain or slaughtered. The only other option is to bow. Bow the knee in compliance. And again, some say, well, this is taking place. Well, show me. So, you may think this is not so bad. In fact, in chapter 12, there's a very, chapter 11, there's a very interesting event that takes place. Two witnesses are given to this world, and they torment the world by preaching. That's all that they do. But the truth will be so foreign to people that preaching will torment them. The truth will be a torment to them. Those two guys, they are killed. They lie in the street for three and a half days. Not years, three and a half days in the street. And the whole world witnesses this de- these deaths. And then suddenly on the third day, God sends His Spirit. He breathes into them and they become alive. That is a scary thing to see. I mean, they witness the death And then suddenly these two guys are alive and God says, come up here. I can't speak like God, but I presume it's going to sound like that. I don't have a deep voice. 
And they go up. They are taken from this world. And people will see that. And some of them will recognize, hang on, this must be the work of God because this has never happened before. Two dead people coming to life at the same time and then just shooting up into the heavens. Yeah, that's not normal. At the end of that period, because of the rejection, 7,000 people die in an earthquake. Chapter 11, verse 13, I believe it is. And there, and that hour, there was a great earthquake, and the, and the tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earth, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to God in the heavens. They recognized that this must be the work of God. This will not be an easy time to live. So then, I've not touched on what the tribulation will look like. I'm going to walk through you, with you through some of it. This is the third question. What is the horror of the tribulation? Revelation chapter 6. What is the horror of the tribulation period? The seven bowls and the seven trumpets... And the seven seals are God's judgments that he will pour out on this earth. They are flowing into each other. As one is probably still busy and finishing up, the other one is released. So keep that in mind. Remember I said that God will remove all restraint. Look at chapter 6 verse 4. And it came uh, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. So that people should slay one another as he was given a great sword. So he was given the right to death. People will turn upon one another. Morality will be gone as, as it regards to life. Look at verse 8. And I looked and behold a pale horse. It's interesting that in, in many of our depictions of death, death comes up as a dark figure. Look here, a pale horse and his rider, the rider's name was Death and Hades. It's not black, it's white. <laughs> Followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Even the fear of man which is given to the animals now will be removed. Animals will turn on people. You can start getting a sense that it's not a really nice time to live in. Look at verse 9. And he opened the fifth seal and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These are those who die in the tribulation period. So even the saints will be killed for not bowing the knee to this devil possessed man. It will be so bad that rich and poor will flee alike. Look at verse um, 12. And when he opened the sixth field, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the, and the full moon was like, uh, was beca uh, became like blood and, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit. When shaken by gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being unrolled. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Do you see the cataclysmic events unfolding? The mountains will be shaken. 
There's going to be no mountain anymore. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling on the mount, uh, uh, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? They would want to die, but they cannot die because God restrains death from them, keeps death from them. I like what it says, that all flee to the mountains. Just think about this. We want equal distribution of wealth now, right? There's going to be equal distribution of wrath. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, you're going to go to the same cave. But isn't that what we want? We want to be equal? You will get it. Not in the way that you want it. Islands won't survive. There's going to be global catastrophe. Global warming as they would call it today. So go ahead. Buy all the electric cars you want. All the solar panels. Save the earth. It's not going to save it. Because God's going to destroy it. It's going to be so bad that people would want to die. And God says no. I am pouring out my judgment on you and you will receive every bit of it. Chapter 8, a third, in verse 7, a third of the earth is burned up. A third of the earth is burned up. Verse 8 and 9, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. What does that cause? A tsunami, right? And a third of the sea became blood. There goes your sushi. No more fish. Water gets poisoned in verse 10. God strikes the sun and a third of the sun and the moon and the stars are destroyed. They are utterly gone. God is removing what we know to be the physical elements in this world that keeps the world together. And God says, I will demonstrate my power. I am the sovereign one and you will know it. The Old Testament says, and they will know that I am God. Yes, they will know. Just not in the way that they want to know him. Tsunamis will be common, natural disasters will be common, and God will overthrow this world, and the worst thing is that God will give mankind over to their will. He will give them over to what they desire. Chapter 9, unbelievers are targeted, specifically a fifth uh, the, the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fall, fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Uh, jump down to verse uh, 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So you want a mark? You want a sign? Well fine, you have the sign of the mark of the beast. Now you will suffer. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not kill them. Death will not be given to those in the tribulation period. The torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and it will not find it and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee 
from them. But despite all this, look at verse 20. Despite all that God is doing, all that God is showing, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. Nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. And cannot see or or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities and their thefts. God is going to give man over to what he desires. What a horrendous time. God will remove all restraint and they will not be able to repent. They wanted free will, they will get free will. And this free will will only demonstrate that mankind is not able to see God because they do not. They further reject Him. I don't know about you, but this is horrendous. They cannot repent despite the freedom that God gives them. Natural disaster over after natural disaster changes the entire landscape of this world. And that will become significant in Isaiah chapter 2 and Zechariah chapter 14 as we look at that next week. When in history have we witnessed a day like this? When in history have we seen the elements of this world being destroyed, the stars being destroyed? NASA tried to destroy uh, an asteroid and made a comet. We don't have the power to destroy what God has put in place. Only he alone can do that. This is not the worst. Last question, what takes place at the end of the tribulation? Second Thessalonians. I'm just read this one passage because it walks into next week's sermon. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Notice verse 7. This is the mystery of lawlessness and is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. With the power and the false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth and had no pleasure in, sorry, and, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What happens at the end of the tribulation? Jesus comes. So if you followed our sermon series, uh, you would have noticed that there was a pre-tribulational appearance of Jesus in the rapture. There is a post-tribulational coming of Christ. What happens then? Come back next week as we will see what happens after Christ returns. Father, we are thankful to you for such great and marvelous words. It is fearful to think of what will unfold in that future day. 
it is fearful to think of the horror that will be unleashed. We've not covered everything, Lord. There's so much more that we need to be aware of. And I pray that you would bring to the understanding uh, of these who are unsaved the wrath that will be poured out on them if Jesus should come right now. Father, I pray that you would be gracious to us. Save those whom you are calling. And we are thankful to you that we will not be here during that period. Pray your blessing upon your word and the conviction power of your spirit to work in the hearts of those who are unbelievers. Encourage those who are believers and convict those who are not. So we give thanks to you for your name's sake we pray. Amen.